Welcome to UQ Leaders. LeadHERS is a UQ confidence building incubator for female identifying students, staff, and alumni. In this podcast, you can listen to some of the wonderful speakers that have been part of our program in 2020. We hope you enjoy this podcast. If you want to know more about our UQ LeadHERS program, please visit our website, ventures.uq.edu. Welcome! In this podcast, recorded as part of the UQ Leaders Spring 2020, you will listen to Dr. Kylie Henderson, founder and managing director of the Better Health Generation Group, on being you with confidence. Enjoy it. I'm also a clinical psychologist, so um, I trained and did a six-year degree and then did a specialisation in clinical psychology. So for those of you who know much about psychology, um, the specialisation in clinical psychology, about 15% of psychologists have that specialisation. So I specialise in mental health, you would say. I'm the Managing Director. I'm also an Adjunct Research Fellow of the University of Southern Queensland. I know that's your competitor, so we won't go on about that. Um, I'm a Fellow of the, of the Institute of Employability Professionals, Fellow of the Australian Digital Health Agency, and the list kind of goes on, but that, this is kind of who I am when I thought about the different roles that I played um, in business at the moment. I think on the left-hand side are my most important roles, though, that I'm trying to play. Um, I'm also the secretary of the Australian Psychological Society as well. So who is the Better Health Generation? What is the business? You've probably never heard of it before, and um, thank you for the introduction. But the Better Health Generation um, is a group of allied health professionals. Um, at the time of writing this presentation, we had 409 paid staff and employees. Um, we started with just myself. Uh, we uh, own these business brands, but basically these business brands um, play into a different market and they mean something to that particular market. So we started as back to work health and um, not uh, ironically, we were delivering services that help people get back to work from a health perspective. Um, we grew a team of psychologists to a team of occupational therapists to a team of other allied health disciplines. And then we had a capability that could play into because we were already working with people with disabilities and, and that was where our Care Squared brand came into play. We deliver services to corporate health because we found early on when we were helping people to get back to work that the most successful outcome was when somebody uh, walked into a really healthy workplace. So helping employers to be mentally healthy and physically healthy in their business was really important to us and it, and it gave us the most successful outcome. So that's what me and work did. Not too long after we uh, established me and work, it became really obvious when we were bidding for work and tenders that we needed an umbrella name and the Better Health Generation made sense to me because we were trying to build a team of health professionals um, 
that were better than everyone else, to be frank, um, but also a generation that thought about the world a little bit differently and was prepared to challenge the status quo of what we all learn at uni and to look at new ways of doing things and look at innovation as a core value in what they did every day. Because quite frankly, when clients come to us, whether that's with a mental health condition or a disability, we're always trying to innovate and solve a problem that's not black or white. You know, some clients come to see us with depression and um, literacy problems. They might have also been incarcerated. They might have also had um, young children that have been taken out of their care. You know, those kind of cases just aren't um, served up to you at university on how to treat those types of people and help those types of people. So we're always trying to innovate on every interaction. And that was what we were trying to form was a collective group of next generation thinkers. That led us to the PhD program. So we sponsored um, 10 of our staff to go and uh, study and um, investigate what are the next things that we could be doing in health and how will we as a company continue to be um, at the forefront of our competitors. It's interesting because my company doesn't sell widgets, we sell people. So we then, I guess, set up the brand, the next generation people and the next generation leaders programs because we needed to make sure if you were selling a widget, you would make it amazing and you would keep making it amazing and you would keep innovating. And, and for me, we needed to be able to make our people amazing and continue to make them amazing. So. <laughs> Within the company, we have um, we set them up as brands, but we certainly deliver a range of services and supports to our people to make them be the best that they can be. You'll notice that Your Health Plus and Better Health Plus um, is on there. That's our technology brand. So a couple of years ago, I said about introducing technology into the business and particularly uh, mental health and looking at assistive technology in the mental health space. So. Um, that's the brand Your Health Plus and Better Health Plus. So a big gamut of different business lines um, all operate with their own CEO these days. Um, so my job is more in that innovation and inspiration space. Um, but within those brands, they also operate their own P&Ls. They operate their own um, marketing budgets. Um, we have a core central team of corporate services, which is finance, technology and marketing, but, but all of those shared services are spread across those business lines. Um, interestingly, um, many of the CEOs working in these businesses have worked for me before in the past, so I kind of knew what they were like. I knew what their strengths and weaknesses were and I knew how they worked with me. So that was probably um, an advantage for me moving forward. Uh, so that's been my eight years um, as a founder, starting with back to work and then moving and spreading out um, to the other business areas, if you like, or markets that are available. So, so what's coming for me? What, what makes me interested? Because I love growing things and I love um, the opportunity to see things flourish and to measure them flourishing. Um, but my next um, brand, that's coming on the next business that I've just entered into in the last week is um, the Wellbeing Code. And 
basically that's a mental health advocacy brand where we will go out into the community with sports stars. So for those of you who are interested in NRL, David Shillington is um, the CEO of that business and he's an ex-NRL player, Australian player. And, um, you know, when you walk down the street with that guy, people come and talk to him. So he, he brings in a crowd of people that wouldn't normally access any of these other brands that are on the page. So we saw it really important in the community that we started helping people who wouldn't put up their hand for mental health services. Um, but sport gave us an adjunct to talk about mental health and and the wellbeing code um, will be set up as a separate business line um, with a technology app called 25 plays which will be 25 different mental health strategies that um, don't seem clinical because they're all based around sport but certainly they are embedded in the science of how we might address people with mental health conditions so that's kind of what's coming i'm most excited um, about the people brands. I think uh, making sure our people are looked after, they're inspired and they've got something innovative and interesting to look forward to is really important at the moment. So what about my hopes and aspirations when I started? What was it like? This is a similar situation to many of you might be in right now. I think the first hope that I had was to try to go out there and deliver services myself and make a really positive difference in the interactions that I have. And I remember saying to my husband um, in 2013, I think if I went down the street and just delivered psych services over here in this back to work space, I think I'd be able to earn enough money to pay our mortgage. Are you okay with that? And I remember him saying to me, well, yeah, I guess so. Um, so I went out and I, and I met um, a particular customer up the road, just around the corner from our house. And um, I walked out of there and he said, you know, what you're talking about, Kylie, is really important. Could you come and deliver services across nine locations? And um, and, and then I thought to myself, well, hang on, no, I, I can't do that because I'm only one person and there's only five days in the week. And I had a young baby. So I said to my husband, I've got to find some friends here. I've got to work out how we can support these sites. Um, nine days a week of work um, ongoing, I, I, I need a few friends. So my first hope um, was really just to deliver the service myself, was to set up a model that I could replicate across a number of branches and to kind of set a standard as well. And, and by standard, I mean, if I was gonna work with a client and deliver the service that particular way, I wanted every other person that worked for me to deliver it that particular way. And I never set that standard that they couldn't achieve it, but if I could achieve it, I needed them to achieve it too. I was certainly inspired, um, I think probably by my um, five siblings and my basketball you know, um, aspirations to, um, beat my, le my last year's performance. I knew what I earned last year before I started the business and I said to my husband, I'll, I'll learn that, just, just let me have a go at it. I'll, I'll be able to earn that, but then year on year, I just kept um, trying to beat my last year's performance. So that was what I was trying to just 
constantly jump up and I use this picture because that's what I felt I was doing every year. I was just trying to beat my last year's performance and I was trying to track it every year. But what were the challenges? There are so many multiple challenges and I, and I want you to listen to these carefully because these are the things you can absolutely avoid. These are external challenges and challenges that I felt personally when I was going through this journey. It wasn't all roses. The first challenge is the risk. I, I absolutely felt this sense of risk about, should I do this? Is it a good enough idea? Um, what if I don't earn that money? What if I can't pay the mortgage? What if I, what if I can't contribute to my family? There's such a um, psychological thing that goes on in your head when you're starting as an entrepreneur about, can I be prepared to take this risk? Um, that was a real challenge for me. Um, cash flow, that is a massive challenge when you're starting up. I didn't want to give my business away to anybody. I'm, I'm an absolute extrovert. I love working with other people, but I, I just didn't want to give it away because I didn't want to have to negotiate with someone ongoing all the time. It was hard enough negotiating with my husband when I got home because I'd say, I think I'm going to do this. And he'd say, nah, go and do that. So it was easier to just um, do it myself, but I needed the cash to do that. Human resources, that was a massive challenge for me in the growth phase. I mentioned early on when my first um, customer visit, they said, can you come and deliver nine days a week of services? So I went out to my friends and I asked my friends, could you kind of come along this journey with me and help me? And um that they came along that journey but it it didn't end well we we only spoke about work it was a real negative when we caught up because it was all about work my husband hated catching up with my friends then because we only spoke about work um and that contractor model is not sustainable in a business framework like mine there are inherent risks um, in relation to um, people becoming bona fide employees. Um, we were giving people work every day, each and every day of the week, and we wanted them to follow our model. We wanted them to do services and deliver services the way we wanted them to deliver it. And we wanted them to wear a back to work shirt. So under the um, HR laws, that's, you know, you can't do that. That's, that's exercising control over a contractor, which would mean they're a bona fide employee. So we learned a lesson really early on about um, employee relationships, about HR practices, about contracting arrangements. And I went out to Minta Ellison and the legal firm and I sought some advice from them. Nothing negative had happened and we hadn't, you know, been challenged or anything like that from a HR perspective. But I asked them to do a review. When we got to about 50 staff, I thought this is a good time to get a review, pay for that and find out, you know, are we doing the right thing by our people? Um, needless to say, I learned a few lessons there. That was a very expensive exercise. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I went to bed at night feeling really comfortable that we were doing the right ethical thing and legal um, practices from a HR perspective for our people. And I think internally, I, I know risk is external and internal, but I, I've, I've listed here the, in the black the um, 
internals. So not knowing enough about technology. I mean, if you want to scale any business, you have to have technology. And I didn't know enough about it. I, I, if, if someone was having a panic attack at the airport, I, I could absolutely help them. But when it comes to technology, um, you guys have just seen an example of it. I tried to log into the Zoom without the email. You know, um, I didn't know enough, but I needed to know more to scale because the second customer I had was in Western Australia and I just couldn't physically fly over there when I wanted to fly over there. So internally, I had to challenge myself to learn more about technology, to talk what the technologists talk about um, and to understand what they're talking about. The other thing internally I felt all the time, a really big challenge was that every call I got for the first three years of my business, I felt was gonna be a CEO saying, you guys are shit. The services you deliver are crap. And um, I just felt like a fraud. And it took me more than three years to stop that feeling. And, and I had to keep working on myself because I'd get a call from our biggest customer who might be spending a million dollars on our services. And every time she rang me, gorgeous woman, I just felt she was gonna say to me, look, we're not gonna use you anymore, Kylie. It's not, it's not working for us. And that was just this imposter syndrome that I was creating within myself because at the end of those phone calls, she was actually saying to me, this is working really well here, Kylie. That one over there is not working. What do you want to do to fix it? But it's, it's all problem solving that we came up with on the phone. So my customer relationships were really important, even though underneath I was feeling like I was an absolute imposter. I think the other point about um, being in a startup that's really important and a challenge that I had to overcome is being emotionally available for my family at the same time as emotionally available for my business. I can't, I couldn't let the business take over my personal life because um, there has to be a switch off when you get home. And the last point is finding a really happy place with my family. That was a real challenge, I think, for me. Um, I was married to a really successful man and um, trying to kind of work out how we're gonna switch these roles. You know, suddenly he was gonna become part-time and be the parent and I was gonna be the full-time worker and how do I switch those roles? I remember him saying to me, you know, it's all great, Kylie, taking the kids down to the park and going for a play with the kids, but the other parents look at me strangely, strangely like, you know, what, what's this man doing in the park? Like, is, it's, a bit, it's a bit sus. And, and, you know, there was all those kind of challenges that I had to overcome on top of running the business um, and navigate with my husband. So, um, you know, these are challenges that we, we all can overcome, but I just want you to be aware of them as you enter into these um, businesses that you're starting up. So just to finish off, what are the top five tips that I have for you for being absolutely you and confident? The first tip I have is to set expectations to measure them and absolutely reward them. And by that, what I mean is that every employee in my business, whether you're the CEO or whether you're the frontline uh, call, call centre operator, um, you have these four KPIs in your role. The first one is quality. So I want to understand how every person in our business 
um, measures quality in their role. So what does the CEO measure? Is that about complaints? No complaints? Or is that about him challenging a status quo? But he has that KPI in his, um, in his performance or job description. Profitability. Obviously, it's really important to make sure that your business is profitable. There is no point going through the stress of running a business that earns 5% margin when you could probably, or you could have, could have previously got that in the bank um, if you put your money in there. So profitability is really important to us. It's important when we're making decisions about going into new business lines to look at what the the budget might look like, look, what, look at what the forecast might look like and make sure that is absolutely profitable. The third one is people. And I talk, spoke about that before. People are our widgets that we sell. So we need to have every single person with a KPI in their, in their job descriptions around people. And the last one is growth. So what can each individual in our business do to either personally grow or collectively grow our business? So those four KPIs have led me through the whole eight years. So they're really important. If you can translate those into your new venture, um, it will be an absolute way of measuring how successful you're going because remember confidence is about um, setting some goals and achieving them and that makes you feel confident. The second tip I have for you is about um, working every day on your emotional intelligence. Um, I've said this numerous times, but um, you know, emotional intelligence is something that we absolutely learn. It's not something that you just get what you get and you don't get upset. You have to work on it every day. So, so you have to do this for yourself as a leader. Um, more successful leaders with higher EIQ perform 25% better in businesses. So better business outcomes come from being um, and having good emotional IQ. So what does that mean, emotional IQ? It means being self-motivated. It means being self-aware, recognising um, interactions that you've had and uh, reflecting on those. Not so much critiquing them, but being self-aware. Um, being able to self-regulate. You know, you don't want your emotions coming into your business. You need to be able to regulate those, particularly when you're talking about other people joining your business. Um, having good social skills um, and being socially aware. So being able to read the room when you walk into a room and so on. So I've put this, this is my sprinkle of psychology, but there's a, there's a saying called the ABC diary, which talks about how various situations that you might be in aren't the thing that causes a particular feeling. It's the way that you think about that situation. So if you just checked your thinking for a second, in the last um, two days, would you say that um, a proportion of those is positive or would you say a proportion of those is negative? If you've got more negative thoughts than you have positive thoughts, then it's always going to lead to a negative emotion. And when you have those negative emotions, it does create a sense of fear and avoidance and it tends to stop you doing what you wanna do. Now, if you're in a startup situation and you're full of those negative thoughts, it's gonna stop you from achieving what you wanna achieve. So making sure that you're really aware of your thinking and the way that it's, um, 
whether it's balanced thinking, a little bit of negative and a little bit of positive is absolutely okay, but it can't be all negative because it will hold you back from the journey that you want to achieve. And the third tip is investing in technology. Beyond people costs in my business, the second biggest cost is technology. We needed that cost to scale. I needed to know all of those metrics that I spoke about before, the, the quality, profitability, people and growth, I needed to measure them and I needed to do it not just in mile, but not just in zero, it needed to be measured in another system. So we had to invest in technology. The fourth one is assigning the right people to the right tasks. You need to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, Sometimes I feel like as an entrepreneur, my weaknesses are just things I'm absolutely not interested. I absolutely, I, I know how to read a cash flow report, but I'm absolutely not interested in it. It bores the living daylights out of me. So um, knowing what is your strengths and weaknesses will help to match the kind of people that will help you along your journey. And sometimes you have to pay for those people and that's okay but being aware of what you like and dislike will help you on your journey as a founder. The last point in my finishing topic today is around prioritising your time. There's a saying um, that I picked up along my journey as a founder that you need to work 80% in your business and 20% on your business. And that is absolutely true. The the, the people that continue to work and strive in their business, and if I had have just kept delivering services across those nine sites um, in my startup conversation, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to hover over the business and look at ways that I could scale it and what things I could do for that. So the 20% of time on reflection, upon looking at um, what's happening in your market, what might happen in your market. I mean, mental health, what's, you know, I'm always thinking about what's going to happen in the mental health market and the technology market for, for my business. That's the 20% of time that I'm working on my business. So, so they're my five tips for you. I think it's about measurement. I think it's about technology. It's about making sure you've got emotional intelligence. It's choosing the right people to work with will help you be more confident um, because you don't need to be an expert in everything. And the last one is making sure you prioritise your time. So that's all from me. Have we got some questions? I love questions, so please give me some questions. Thank you so much. That was a wonderful presentation and really touched on a lot of things we try to cover um, during the Lead Hearst program. So it has been a fantastic introduction into what is to come as well for us in terms of transferable skills, advocacy versus delegation, working with friends and the challenges of that, imposter syndrome, emotional availability, family roles and challenges in how you kind of find that balance. So many, many wonderful topics and I'm sure that will open lots of Pandora boxes in terms of conversations and, and, and things to discuss. So we have a first question about imposter syndrome. Um, do you have any tips or anything that has helped you to manage that? Oh, I think absolutely. So the, um, the ABC diary that I, brought up before, mm -hmm. 
Um, this diary ab absolutely helps you when you're thinking about imposter syndrome because you're thinking about um, how you're not good enough. So the B in this scenario would be, I'm not good enough for this. Um, I think other people are better than me. You know, that's how you create the imposter feeling is that you're saying that to yourself. I think the best way to overcome that feeling is to look at what you're absolutely good at um, and know what you're good at and, and remind yourself of what you're good at because, frankly, all of us have got things we're good at and things we're not so good at. So um, making sure that you balance out your thinking with some more positive things that you're good at. Um, but I want to be realistic and tell you it, it took me three years to get on that journey with my business. Um, was I going to be good enough? Um, even with the balance thinking and even with the skills that I had, it's still tricky. So good question. Yeah, cool. We have another question from Kipa. And uh, do you have any good resources to use to develop your emotional intelligence? Yes, there are lots of really good resources out there. Um, but <coughs> what I would do is focus in on those five factors, what on what motivates you what makes you self-aware because if you went to the library and looked up emotional intelligence you'd find a lot of pop fiction and you'd find a lot of cowboys working on it so look someone that's credible um but i would look for someone that's focusing in on those five areas do you have a specific author or clinician that we can look into no, and, and, and I should have added that as a point. I, um, some leaders will say that they look to one specific mm -hmm. um, leader to model their leadership style, whereas I tend to pick multiple leaders and pick the things I like about them out of it. Mm. So I don't tend to rely on one specific book. Yep. Uh, and I couldn't say to you that, you know, Donald Trump was my amazing leader. <laughs> I don't think anyone would, but, but there's points about him that I think are okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, as a leader, we've got to be so agile and adaptable that you mm -hmm. can't just mirror yourself on one person or one book. Mm -hmm. I think it's about um, getting onto podcasts that might be delivered by organisational psychologists or clinical psychologists and, mm -hmm. and, and sprinkling that because every day is a journey with your emotional intelligence. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Next question from League C. How do you manage work and life balance being a successful leader? Yes, I think that's about having a switch off and making sure that when you jump in your car or you, you, you stop your business, you have a time that you switch off. That, that is the only way to do it. And I think the other point to do it is to not miss the, the the memorable moments that you have with your family. So don't miss the, the swimming carnival, although they're not on at the moment, so that's fine. <laughs> don't miss the swimming carnival. Don't miss those major events that you don't want to look back on and say, I missed that with my daughter or my son or my, my husband or my partner or, or whoever. So, Do you have any specific tips on how you switch off while you work from home? Because I agree with you, sometimes commuting can be a great time to kind of decompress and switch on and switch off. Uh, but how would you do that when you're working from home? And that's maybe a personal issue that I'm having. 
because you're literally working in the other room, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think it's about creating a ritual. Mm -hmm. So when it with a um with leaving the office, you've always got a ritual, you know, you lock your keys and and you probably say something to yourself like I'm gonna switch off now. Mm -hmm. It's about creating that ritual at home and saying, Okay, I'm about to leave this desk, you know, let me check here. I've signed out of my email, I've put my phone down, I've I've played my favorite song to get my head out of this space. Mm. Or, or it's creating um, a two to three step ritual that will help you to let it go. Yeah. Okay. In that office. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, how do you manage to get the word out and get people talking about your business? That's a question from Isha. Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, my business sells through education. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of um, educational posts about my business on LinkedIn. So we were selling, um, we knew our market, we were selling business to business mostly, mm -hmm. not business to consumer. Mm -hmm. And so LinkedIn became a really great spot to get mm -hmm. um, influencers on. Um, it wasn't, believe it or not, after all these years, my company page um, has really crap following. <laughs> it's, it's all about your personal story and putting that out there. So LinkedIn's a great place to do it. Um, I, I know people are talking about Instagram, they're talking about Facebook. Um, it depends on whether it's B2B or B2C in my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for B2C, you would be more inclined to focus on Instagram and Facebook, for example, whether B2B, you'll go to LinkedIn. Cool, interesting. And I'm going to kind of uh, link up two questions here. Um, there was one about how do you manage a busy day and how you manage your tasks efficiently? And I would like to combine that with another question posed by Veen before, where she talks about how you keep yourself motivated. Yeah, I absolutely keep myself motivated by this um, to-do list um, pad. I, I bite it off its work. It's really corny. Um, <laughs> but it's basically a to-do list. And I just set, set down for the first five minutes of my day and map out what I want to achieve for the day and the things I've got to knock off. Um, I try and knock off the things that I don't want to do first because if I leave them to the end of the day, I'll leave them over. Um, but that's what motivates me is knocking off things. So I'm like, tick, yep, done that, right, next, tick, done that. Who else do I need to do? Um, and I think the five minutes preparing for my day really helps me to also um, let go and finish the day so I can tick them off at the end. That's my ritual, tick them off, leave the office and head home. Yeah, awesome. Um there's another question here about how do you get other VPs on board to agree with you, even if they may strongly oppose against you? <laughs> and um, Shirley also asked about how you scale your business. So it's kind of two big questions <laughs> bundled together. But I think that question about VPs and in general co-founders and team members, it's very interesting how you get that balance between getting what you want and collaborate and, and communicate effectively. Yeah, I guess the thing is, is um, being really clear on the roles that you play within the business and the roles that are needed in the business. So um, with, um, with our executive team or um, 
or our BP team, you'd probably call them, um, they're really clear on the roles that they play and um, I'm really clear on the roles that I play. So they develop a strategy plan that, um, that I'll also add to and they, they follow that strategy plan mostly. So the boundaries of their role are fairly clear. So you, you tend to avoid a little bit of conflict when somebody's got really clear boundaries in their role. Mm -hmm. And again, it comes back to recognising the strengths of each person that you've employed or that you're working with or each of the VPs. So this is your lane, mm -hmm. you're down this lane, and this is my lane. You know, I, I know really clearly um, that my role is innovation and inspiration with my people because if it came to cash flow reporting, it's not my lane. Mm. Um, you know, I can read and look at and analyse, you know, numbers and see if they change and look at trends, but that's all I'm looking at. So mm. I've got a business partner that does a little bit of that. Mm. So that's a good, uh, really good segue into the next question uh, that Millie asks. What type of studies did you get to get into the business side of the business, right? And to feel comfortable with running a startup, especially considering that that wasn't your background to start with? Yeah. Um, so I went off it really early on um, and did the Australian Institute of Company Directors course. Mm -hmm. So when you start up a company, you're, you're obviously signing on to be a director of a company and that comes with some responsibilities and particularly um, if you're going to employ people. So that course was a five-day course. It's, it's uber expensive, but um, it gave me the confidence to know what exactly I had to do as a leader of a business from a um, legal um, perspective. Um, it's really important because you don't want to be worried about things. Mm -hmm. But in relation to um, study, I didn't go off and do any other study. I people had said to me, "Do you, you know, we, would you do an MBA?" And I don't think I would because um, I'm always naturally curious about mm -hmm. things. So if it came to writing a writing a budget or writing a forecast. You know, you can learn those micro skills through a range of resources, like I'm sure you're going to learn in this program. So um, don't pigeonhole yourself by doing a study program that is going to be so broad that's not going to give you the specific tools that you need to run your business. Yeah, that's good advice. And maybe the last question from Blackshia. Have you come across any sexism in your workplace and how have you dealt with it? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, yeah, well, interestingly, um, I, I think as a woman you do. I, I, I can't say I haven't. There are um, you know, even, even two... Even three weeks ago, I was on a Zoom call um, with another business owner who was our customer, and he spent the whole time talking about my shirt. And I thought to myself, why am I, why am I even having this conversation with you? It's absolutely relevant. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know who would publicly write about this in the newspaper or in any other kind of business journal, but um, you know. They talk about females not being on boards and not having enough representation on boards, and and I, I think it's absolutely true. Um, and yeah, I 
I feel so strongly about that. But you know what? I just think at the end of the day, when I walk out of the room and somebody um, has spent the whole time talking to me about the shirt or the outfit that I've worn for the day, um, I think I just think it's their loss. Like I just mm. they, if they want to talk, if, if that's all that interests them, and on something, so don't worry. I don't let that stuff worry me. Mm. Do you have any specific strategies that you use or any phrases that you have ready in the back of your head so as soon as someone goes down that, goes down that route, you just stop it straight away with a witty <laughs> sentence or do you just let it go and don't even listen to it? Uh, look, a lot of people ask me questions about um, that I've got a friend who's got this, mental health problem or, or you know I've got this issue or something and my witty saying is always oh look I always prescribe look you don't want to come and see me because the only, only things I can prescribe these days are red wine and shopping therapy or retail <laughs> therapy. so um, beyond that I'm just interested in you know running my business and helping people to perform better so um, I don't know if I have a witty comment for the um, sexism scenario I tend to just ignore it because I think if you, if you feed it it just keeps going so yeah that makes sense um awesome uh, thank you so much for your time again and for your wonderful presentation thank you so much for listening to our podcast if you want to know more about UQ Ventures Please follow us on socials at UQ Ventures and on our website ventures.uq.edu.au. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay up to date on our programs and activities. And if you want to get in touch by email, you can reach us at ventures at uq.edu.au. Thank you for listening.